All right, take two. We <laughs> almost cut our intro off there, but uh, today on the podcast, we have Andrea Weinrich. Did I say your last name right, Andrea? Yes. Awesome. Fantastic. As an individual with a last name, Glasscock, I can totally understand uh, having my last name mispronounced. I always like to do that right. Um, I invited you on here after just some basic Instagram engagements and all that sort of stuff. You and I actually had the opportunity to meet about a year and a half ago at the Michigan Veterinary Conference as we were there as exhibitors and just trying to spread the idea of whatever the heck paw health is. That was, that was one of the strangest sales experiences of my life. Um, so we can maybe get into that. But um, when we met, I uh, had this chance to just connect and learn a little bit about your story and kind of, you know, what got you basically to the point of where you are today and through, because you are a, a quote unquote second lifer and um, have a, I, your story was interesting enough for me to remember uh, all of this time. Be like, you know Aww, what, yeah. <laughs> uh, we will, we will definitely have to uh, get into that uh, on the podcast when we, because that was actually before we started the podcast. Um and once once that kind of started rolling and we started getting into the idea of bringing on guests, I was like, you know what? If she's willing, like at the very least, she will have um, some interesting insights into the vet school experience because of the unique nature of how she got there. So um, I guess to start off, Andrea, what I think would be a great place uh, to kind of introduce yourself is just is essentially that. So um, if you had to give the elevator speech uh, on you, uh, how do you do that? And kind of um, a little bit about how you got to where you are at today. Ooh, the elevator speech. <laughs> okay, well, um Basically, I'm, as you said, a second lifer. Uh, I took the scenic route to get to vet school. I had a whole other life and career plans before I got here. Um, started with wanting to go to vet school, having a bad experience with my first time in college out of high school, um, deciding to join the military, then plans changing again, starting a family, then plans changing again, and now here we are in vet school. Yeah, that's the abridged version. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a that's a really good uh, synopsis because it allows us kind of the opportunity to maybe just touch on some points uh, along the way there. So, um, first bit in college, tell me a little bit about that. It was right out of high school. Kind of, did you have a plan when you first started college, and then kind of what maybe what fell apart that pushed you or accelerated your path into the military? Yeah, um, I started off wanting to, you know, study animal science and go to vet school like just about everybody that starts on the path of vet med. Yep. Uh, I, my cousin tells the story of when I was six years old, I used to introduce myself and say, hi, I'm Andrea, I'm going to be a veterinarian. <laughs> so, like, it's always been something that I wanted to do. And then I went to a high school where college was not really emphasized, and um, I was a big fish in a small pond, and then I came to MSU and became a little fish in a very big mm -hmm. pond, mm -hmm. and I was extremely overwhelmed. Um, I didn't go to class regularly. I struggled with chemistry, and I thought, well, this is it. Uh, MSU politely asked me to leave okay. after a semester, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and for anybody that's listening that's wondering, hey, can I go to vet school when I had a bad undergrad experience, I will tell you 
that my GPA after one semester was a 0.5. I'm not kidding. I'm not embellishing that. <laughs> um, it's not something I'm proud of. Right, but right. I, I turned that around eventually to get myself into yeah. vet school. Yeah. And it's not because I was not intelligent. I just, I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. And not everyone is ready for college and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I left MSU, I sort of bounced around for about a year and then I said I need some direction and ended up joining the military um, and that really kind of propelled my entire life forward from there. Okay so yeah I guess with that then um, you did a semester at, in college and then you joined the military. Uh, what branch of the military did you join and kind of uh, what was the idea behind that because it's uh, I, I would say it's probably not the most frequent thing that people go from college into the military. It's typically like once you get out of that <laughs> high school range right it's well I, yeah. I, I know that my path is at least for now going into the military and I don't necessarily have that um, kind of that, that that in-between zone. So uh, tell me a little bit about that decision-making process and kind of why, why you chose that path at that time. Well, uh, like I said, I was kind of bouncing around, felt mm-hmm. pretty lost, didn't really have a whole lot of direction in my life, needed some discipline. Yep. Um, I come from a very long line of individuals who've served in the military, including both my parents. Okay. And so that just felt actually really natural to me to to join the army. Uh, I joined the army reserves Mm -hmm. so that I could still have that option to eventually return to college. Mm -hmm. Um, I joined the military police. I wanted to actually drive a tank, Nice. but back in the nineties, they still had exclusions on things that women Mm -hmm. could and could not do in the military. Mm -hmm. And I was told I could not drive a tank because I was a woman. Mm. Um, so that was sort of my first like eye opening experience of, wait a minute, like I've lived in this bubble where, you know, I've been pretty privileged and seen, you know, how the world is, but now I'm getting this taste of, well, maybe it isn't what I thought it was this whole time. Yeah. Um, and so I went away to basic training and what they call AIT, which is your specialization for whatever you're going to do for me. It was military police. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I came back and I asked MSU if I could come back and they said yes. I was on probation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to turn my grades around, which I did. Mm-hmm. I also switched majors, which helped me because I was no longer studying uh, science-related classes. I was studying criminal justice, which mm-hmm. is not science-based whatsoever. Right. Um, right. So then after about being back a year or so from, you know, basic and AIT, I met my husband. And then a few days after we got married, we got (laughs) deployed. (laughs) All right. Um, So yeah, I guess that's pretty crazy, number one. But um, (laughs) yeah, so you guys met stateside um, as a part of being, you were both in the Army Reserves, um, and then get married, go through that whole process, and then you get deployed. Where were you deployed to? We both deployed to Guantanamo Bay. Okay. So we actually were reclassed because uh, that wasn't a military police position. It was a corrections position, Mm -hmm. which they're related but not the same. So we had to be retrained before we went there. Now with your um, criminal justice um, education, was that a part of that? 
No, no. It, it was something completely different. Okay. Um, when I switched gears, I thought that I would end up being um, a police officer at some point. Yep. I really enjoyed the nature of helping people, and um, then I married a police officer <laughs> <laughs> because in his civilian job, that's what my husband did, and we oh, decided okay. very quickly that two police officers in one family is not a good idea when you want to raise kids. Yeah. It yeah, works I for would, some people. It just, it did, would not work for I, us. I, I can only imagine. And that was over in the East Lansing area. Is that correct? Ish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause you, you had mentioned before that you came from, uh, Eastern Wisconsin. So like, I know that area well enough with being in the Wisconsin. <laughs> area. I was like, well, she's, she's talking about being in like the Appleton area. Like being a cop over there is probably not the worst thing. I mean, times two is a lot. That's a lot of odd, you know, tough hours, all that sort of stuff. But, um, uh, but yeah, no, that's, um, that's pretty, that's a that's an interesting story. But now, what, since you guys were married, were you intentionally deployed at the same time, the same place together? Was that kind of a part of that process? It wasn't intentional, but we were in the same unit, oh, so okay. that meant that we were deployed together. Yeah. At the time, we didn't have children, um, and even when you do have children, the military requires you to create a family care plan. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if you're in the same unit and you both get deployed you have to have somebody to take care of your children. They don't say, well, sorry, one of you can stay back. Like, mm -hmm. that's what you sign up for. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Thankfully, at the time, we didn't have children, so we both went and we both went together. Okay. Um, as an individual that works uh, for a husband and wife duo, I have <laughs> been able to see kind of some of the uh, interesting, because, you know, just working with your spouse is hard, I think, in every setting. How was that uh, being deployed together? Was it, was it easier, <laughs> more difficult? Like, how did that kind of go? Um, it was easier in the respect that we were together. So, yeah. you know, in our off time, we could spend that together, yep. especially being newlyweds. Right, um, right. But in other aspects, it was very difficult, especially for my husband, because being a woman in a male-dominated industry, if you yep. want to call the Army an industry, yep. and in an MOS-like military police where there is, again, predominantly males on a deployment where all of the detainees are also males. Mm -hmm. it, it's very difficult for a spouse of a woman to see those interactions that can be sometimes negative oh, and yeah. not react himself. He has to keep his own composure and mm -hmm keep his own military bearing. So that was a very trying time mm -hmm. for him and then also for me in many regards. Right, right. Yeah, and that's, uh, so the, the only reason that I really ask is because, you know, that just to, to get an understanding of kind of the unique experience, especially knowing that, yeah, I mean, you can, you know, the military is what it is. We'll just go with, it's an industry <laughs> just for the ease of having a word to go with it. But um, with that, like, yeah, it's absolutely male dominated. And um, what years were you at Guantanamo? In 2002 to 2003. Okay. So that was when it was expanding pretty significantly. And that was... Yes, it was right after September 11th and right before the invasion in Iraq. Yeah. So we were actually in Guantanamo when the invasion of Iraq happened. Yeah. And that was just being such a high stress time. And like that would have been, you know, it, it's one thing to have to go through that quote unquote by yourself, but to have that added element of 
my spouse is here and now there's like that extra bit like you can you, you can learn lessons in a more accelerated way when there's more ties uh, <laughs> to kind of go along with that so um you know as, as we're kind of working through all of that too you know you you were now that would have been probably what year was that in your uh, overall military experience because you said you about had about eight years uh, was that early yeah i i joined in 2000 Okay. Um, okay. Yep. And so that was, you know, two or three yeah. years in, but, but I was only, I was only 22 at the time. Right. So I was still very much a baby. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, as I'm, I am turning 30 in a couple months. Um, and I think about me, my, myself at 22 and like to the idea of putting myself in that situation is like, that would have been a terrible idea. <laughs> so I totally, I totally get where you're coming from there. Um, and then, so then you kind of work your way. So 2000 to 2008 was roughly military time. Is that about right then? Correct. Okay. And then when did you actually graduate from Michigan state with your bachelor of arts in criminal justice? I graduated in 2005. Okay. So came back, um, our first daughter was born in 2003. Okay. And, um, I actually walked across the stage to get my bachelor's degree, seven months pregnant with my son nice. in 2005. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then any deployments between, um, 03 and 08 at all? No, uh, the last deployment that I would have been eligible for, I was actually pregnant with our last child. Okay. And so when you're pregnant, they obviously yeah. don't send you for that reason. Right, right. <laughs> Um, and then, um, so what happens when in the reserves is often you have what's called like a six by two contract. So it's six years of active service and then mm -hmm. two years of inactive. So during that last two years, if there had been a deployment that they needed personnel for, I would have been or could have been called yeah. up for. Yep. I wasn't. And then my... Uh, contract expired. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, then, you know, that, that, that period in your life kind of ends. You're at that point, you're three kids deep, uh, which <laughs> I totally understand not re-signing that contract. <laughs> so, um, then I guess walk me through kind of, you know, you, how much did you try out the, uh, criminal justice life and, um, uh, walk me through kind of how you got to the point of, uh, choosing to apply to go to vet school at Michigan State? Sure. Um, so part of the reason I didn't renew my contract, and it, it was a long talk with my husband because I had, and when I joined, I wanted to do 20 years. Okay, yep. Part of the reason that I didn't is I knew very quickly I'd, I wanted to be home with our children, and I didn't want them to have to live with somebody else even temporarily mm -hmm. while I was deployed nor did I want to leave our children in a situation where they could be orphaned because my mm. husband and I both deployed. Right. And that, that is a very real possibility that I think a lot of individuals don't understand or realize. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very big decision on our part. Mm -hmm. um, and that just segued naturally into me being a stay at home mom. We okay. did some math of, you know, me going to work and that would essentially pay for daycare and, why would I pay somebody else to raise our kids when I could do it myself? And yep. not that there's anything wrong with people who utilize daycare right, or do right. things differently. It just didn't work for what I wanted mm -hmm. as a mother. Um, and my husband has always been 100% supportive of 
okay, whatever you want. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and he's actually the reason I'm in vet school. So okay. the plan was always that when our youngest got to kindergarten, I would figure out my career yep. and go from there. Mm-hmm. So I started brainstorming, what can I do with a criminal justice degree? Probation, police officer, you know, there are a lot of things that you can do. Mm-hmm. And my husband said, I just don't think you'll be happy with any of those. Okay. And I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do then. And he said, if you could go back to school to do anything right now, like disregard money, how much right. time, cost, all of that, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'd go back and be a veterinarian. It's mm-hmm. what I've always wanted to do. I've wanted to be that since I was little. And, and that's just like my whole life, animals have been a part of it. Me rescuing animals, me being involved in in all kinds of ways with animals. And he's like, well, then do it. And I, I laughed at him. Like, do you know how crazy that is? Right. We have three kids. Like, I'm not young anymore. Right. And he's like, yeah, but if it's your passion and that's what you want to do and it's your dream career, then why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. So I made a deal with him that I would reapply to MSU. And if they let me in, then we would just take it one step at a time. Okay. And that's... That's what we've done. Like yeah. I applied and they're like, yeah, sure. Come back. And I'm like, oh gosh, now it's real. <laughs> <laughs> but having a bachelor of arts, I didn't have any science right. classes. So I literally had to go back and do everything from scratch. Yep. So I've been in school since 2011. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I had to get essentially the equivalent of a bachelor's degree in science Mm -hmm. in order to apply to MSU. Yep. Yeah. So they let you in on the undergrad side again, just be like, sure, you want to take some more classes? Have at it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I started there and then because of where we were living at the time, which was about an hour from East Lansing, Mm -hmm. I ended up bouncing around from Saginaw Valley State University. And then Mm -hmm. I also took some classes at LCC because I talked to admissions at MSU and they're like, well, we don't really care where you get the classes from. We just want you to have the classes. I was like, all right, let's do this. So I just took classes wherever I could take them. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah, that's a that's a very uh, different. We'll go with different path, but it's but I get it, right? It's like you just have to do what you have to do if you you know if you got the goal out in front of you. Just actually, um, I'm guessing since you and Bree Crouch are pretty good friends, that you got to listen to her podcast. But that was one of the things with her uh, path that I really appreciated. How it it definitely was nonlinear. Um, and the, like, like, you know, she got declined from getting into vet school a couple times, but just did whatever it is that she had to do, um, to get to the point of actually being accepted and just like that, like resilience and just being able to, um, take the hit and continue forward, um, which is actually, um, kind of a, I would say it's a fair segue, maybe not a great one, but um, I, I put it on Instagram earlier today and I apologize to everyone. Andrea is now a fourth year because the previous fourth years have not graduated. So congratulations Thank on you. making it to fourth year. <laughs> Thank um, you. I, I believe it was in like literally podcast episode one. We made a reference to... Um, cause we actually use the after action report, which I literally just pulled straight out of the Marine handbook. And mm-hmm. we like to utilize like military style references. Often I don't actually have any family or myself that has ever served or anything like that. But 
I've also read every book by Jocko Willink. So like yeah. my brain just kind of started to think that way after reading enough of those words. And I listen to his podcast all the time, all that sort of stuff. But ever since podcast episode one, I've had this idea in my head that um, veterinary school is kind of like boot camp where it's like, you know, cause it, it, you know, from the outsider looking in, it's like, well, it, 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 in, uh, excuse the gendered language, but you tear down the boy and you rebuild a man. And, and I think in that first episode, it's like, well, vet school forgot the rebuild part. We just, they just, they're just really good at just trying to tear people off of whatever ledge that they're on. And, um, but that is absolutely like the most outsider view possible. I've never been to boot camp. Um, I have never been to vet school, but um, from the stories and the people that we've been able to connect with, it's like, man, I really feel like there's some similarities here. Um, which is exactly why I was like, when we, you and I met, I was like, man, like that's the person that's really going to know. So that's really kind of my first question. You've been through pretty much all of it. Um, is it even close to the same thing? In many ways, yes. Okay. And to your point of they forgot to rebuild part, you have to look for those individuals who do that. Okay. Those mentors definitely exist within vet school, but sure. sometimes we often get so blindsided by all the other noise that's mm -hmm. going on that we don't see them. Yeah. Um, I actually made myself a little list here of things comparing uh, vet school to military training slash boot camp. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is they're both like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. So my first day in boot camp, and I don't know how much it's changed. So we're mm -hmm. talking 2000 versus 2021. I don't know what it's like in 2021. Yeah. Um, you literally are put on a cattle trailer. And when I say cattle trailer, I mean like the <laughs> ones that we use for cattle in vet bed. Yep. You're put on one of those with, you know, 50 to 100 other soldiers. And mm -hmm. then you come off and they just start yelling and screaming at you to do this, do that. And while they don't do that in vet school, there is a lot of information that's coming, you know, 90 miles an hour at you. And you're trying to just absorb whatever you can. Yeah. How is that, um, or I'll call it a triage process because that's the world that we live in, right? It's like, you know, we're actually, um, Memorial Day was probably a good example, just so you're kind of aware of like the caseload and stuff that we uh, see. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and I'll include Tuesday because the Monday or the Tuesday after Memorial and Holiday is like our two busiest days of the year. Um, we saw it was like 315 patients in those five days. So... Wow. A lot of stuff coming in, mm -hmm. right? And there's, you know, there's, we got a lot of people here, but there's only so many hands to go around. Um, when you were now, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious how, um, you know, you, you were able to adjust to that in the vet school experience based on your boot camp experience is like when you're 20 years old and you just enlisted and they're just hammering this all at you. Um, how did you kind of learn how to prioritize that stuff? And then did that translate once you got into vet school? Yeah, I mean, you you can't, when you're getting off that cattle carrier and people are yelling at you to pick up your bag and drop your bag and drink water and don't drink water and why is your face so red? So when I get really hot oh, yeah. or like stressed, my face just gets red. It yep. doesn't mean I'm about to pass out, but <laughs> I got yelled at for it. Right. You know, when you're, when you're having all of these things come at you, you just have to pick one 
and dedicate yourself to that. It yep. may not always be the right one and that's okay. And then you just pick up the next one once you've got the first one. So pick up the bag. Okay. I've picked up the bag. Now what? Drink the water. Okay. Well, that means I have to set down the bag. Like it's, it seems very simplistic, but when you have all of that noise from the outside coming in and you're trying to think on the fly, mm -hmm. It does end up boiling down to becoming very task oriented and checking off those tasks as you go along. Yep. Yep. And then kind of how with that task or it being able to just kind of see the next step that's in front of you. Um, how do you feel like that played out, especially with that early, even during that uh, undergrad time, right? Because you went from like, a, a, an initial undergraduate experience where the sciences kicked your ass so hard that it was like, well, I'm clearly not made for this to the point of going through a BA and not really having, um, you know, the, the, the hard sciences, if you will. And, mm -hmm. um, and then needing to get, acquire all of that. Did that, did that experience help you, um, kind of be able to just roll with it and just see the next step rather than worrying about how far ahead you have to go? Yeah, exactly. Instead of thinking down the road of, oh my gosh, I have to take all of these prerequisites or, yeah. oh my gosh, vet school is four years long. It became a process of, okay, what is the class I'm in right now? What do I need to accomplish mm -hmm. so I can get to the next step and the next step after that? Mm -hmm. And, and that's really how I've gotten through this process is just taking it one step at a time. There's that adage or if you will, of how do you eat an elephant? Well, yep. you eat it one bite at a time. Mm -hmm. And that, that's literally how I've gotten through this process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, any, what were your other notes that were kind of your similarities <laughs> or differences that you got? Um, teamwork makes the dream work okay. and, and everybody probably knows this, but mm -hmm. in, the military, you sink or swim together as a group. Okay. And uh, there was one time where one of the people in my bunk area decided to use floor stripper instead of, so we had to buff the floors yeah. every night. Yeah. And they used floor stripper instead of the stuff that you put on to make it nice and shiny. Well, that created these big streaks everywhere and mm -hmm. no one wanted to get in trouble. So we all collectively got up, took shifts stripping the entire floor and then glossing it all night. It was terrible. <laughs> and that person ended up paying us back by doing night watch for several weeks in a row. Yep. <laughs> but, but it's one of those things where you, you like at the time you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Why are we so angry about this? And then you move on and you just, you learn how to incorporate those. Okay. Well this, you know, embrace the suck and we'll deal with it. And we move on together and it's done and we fixed it and it's over. How, how did you guys learn that as a group? Did you, did everyone kind of walk into that experience kind of expecting the fact that like, I'm going to be tied at the hip to how big was a unit? Uh, it really depends. Uh, I think there were like 20 females okay. in my platoon Yeah, and everybody is assigned a battle buddy. And okay. that person is your person that's tied to the hip. So yeah. you hope for a great one. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're not so great. So when they get in trouble, you get in trouble. And it <laughs> yep. really, it teaches you how to basically police your peers. And so, you know, you check over their uniform before you're being, you know, judged on those things yep. or 
before you go and do exercises, you make sure you run through things. It, it teaches you how to look past the individual and towards the team. Mm -hmm. And that's really something that I think is very valuable in veterinary medicine is it's not just about you. You may be the doctor, but you have a team of nurses and professional staff that runs your office or mm -hmm. if, you know, wherever you're at, you're not the only person that's there. And mm -hmm. so that's one thing that I do think is very valuable for me going forward is that can be a struggle. I know it was for me when I was in my 20s thinking past myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually so um, if you're not familiar with kind of the way that we structured PAW, it is so we have a toppled hierarchy. You know, traditionally um, in your, your, your veterinary practices, it goes pretty much straight down from doctor to vet nurse or veterinary technician to unlicensed medical staff to reception reception staff and those are your four primary roles and there are other things that happen in a vet practice however for us it's all about each one of those roles has a unique skill set a unique talent base and a unique insight into the patient care process and yes even though a you know to acquire a dvm uh title and all, all the credentials and stuff that go with that it takes time and effort and money all that sort of stuff it doesn't mean that they have the same insight that a technician or a nurse is going to have it doesn't mean that you know, for me you know, I have zero medical or veterinary experience. I don't know anything about actually treating animals. <laughs> However, from the front end, I can see the caregiver experience. I can understand and maybe empathize with them a little bit more because um, all of these medical people are saying words I don't understand. Well, maybe we got to roll it back. And, it, and it's not to say that you know, that ignorance is a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. So the more that you can value the insights of your team, the more that you can appreciate the way in which they look at the world, um, I think the easier it is to have a, a successful practice. Um, and I would, I would venture to guess that that would also make it easier to have a successful team within a military-style setting where it's like, yeah, you know, you're going to see the world this way and I see it this way. And yeah, we are going to disagree. There is going going to be conflict in this setting, regardless of how much we try to avoid it or make it not happen. So the more that I can look at you and say, hey, you provide value at your position and I want to collaborate with you based on that value, I think the easier it is to um, create success within missions and, and all that sort of stuff. But I didn't live it. Am I off my rocker? No, I don't think so. Um, and I also think that there's this this thing in the military where you respect the rank and you mm -hmm. don't always have to respect the person, you're going to disagree. Like you said, yep. you're not always going to be on the same page. And it's sort of like playing this personality Jenga where, you know, even in vet school, they may tell you something that you don't like, or they may grade you in a way that you perceive as unfair. But the bottom line is they're the one that's grading you. Yeah. They're the one who's telling you what to do and you can call it an injustice and get really upset about it. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And so you respect the fact that they're in charge and do what you can and control what you can and then you move on. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess that um, kind of leads me to my next question is as you've rolled through the didactic and now you're getting in uh, or you're pretty, you actually, you just had your first surgical rotation, right? And now this is break rotation and then you're pretty much just nonstop here for the next bit. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. 
Um, now, uh, kind of going with that, um, I'm assuming that there were some um, educators on the didactic side that were maybe a little bit easier to collaborate with and some that were maybe a little bit more difficult. Um, was that, some, I mean, was that basically just a direct comparison that you kind of saw where it's like, yep, this person isn't necessarily the best mentor in the world, but you got to respect the rank regardless of the person. Um, is that, I mean, I, that sounds like it's pretty much just a direct parallel. Yeah, it yeah. is. And and I like to look at it as, okay, well, I don't particularly care for this person or the way that they're grading or even their teaching style, but yeah. what can I take from it? Yep. Because everybody has something valuable to give. Sometimes you just have to look for that a little bit harder than you do with other people. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like your path, ha- I mean, because that was the, my next curiosity, kind of across everything is... Um, kind of what advantages or disadvantages that you've been able to realize in your educational experience through vet school is like you you've had more life experience you've likely had significantly more military experience than almost all of your classmates um is that something that you feel like you have a distinct advantage on is just being able to roll with that because like the thing that we see from students often is they are highly competent, but um, confidence is pretty limited. Uh, and typically that confidence has been shook by somebody else. Basically, like they, they felt like they knew what they were doing um, and then just get beat down and beat down and beat down. And they don't necessarily know what to do with that intense level of feedback. Um, do you feel from, you know, you can only speak for your own story, obviously, but, um, you know, you also probably have, um, I'm sorry, what was the term buddy? What was the um, battle battle buddy, buddy, which I'm assuming has got to be Bree, right? Uh, I actually have two. Okay. Bree is one. Um, and we bonded over our love of hockey. Yep. And, uh, another one is Margaret who we bonded mm. over our shared military service. Okay. She was also in, in the military. Awesome. So, so with that, like just even just knowing, you know, your friends, the way that you do, do you feel like your experience has kind of given you uh, a leg up in essentially managing the emotional process of kind of maintaining that confidence while you're increasing your competence? Yeah, it, it's hard to, pinpoint advantages versus disadvantages because I can look at it both ways. For example, just having a family is for me sometimes an advantage because it keeps me grounded. Mm -hmm. Like they're my why, they're the reason that I'm doing this. They're my cheerleaders when I come home and I'm like, that's it. I'm done. Vet school's too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) And they're like, no, you're really smart. You can do this. And like, they already see me as the doctor I'm going to be. And so that's a huge advantage that I have. But on the other side, it takes time away from studying. It takes time away from experiences. My family's been great about, you know, I've done an out-of-state externship already. I've Mm -hmm. been on boards of, you know, like VBMA and things like that. So they've been very supportive of me wanting to have as much of the vet school experience as I can. But it's still a disadvantage in some ways because it's not the same as if I had gone through in my 20s. Right. Yeah, no, that's, um, 
Yeah, I actually, um, we just did a, I just did a podcast the other day with Caroline and Molly. Um, haven't put it up. We pre-recorded it because I really had no idea where it was going to go. But um, talked actually a lot about, because uh, they're very different people from like a personality perspective. And what we really highlighted in that is like your, your greatest asset can also be your greatest weakness. And I think that's understanding that dichotomy of like you really have to be able to find that balance and have people around you that can also appreciate that balance, um, which I, it sounds like you have been blessed with, which um, kudos to your family and everybody, because <laughs> I'm, I, I can't imagine that that it's been easy necessarily, but it's been worthwhile, which is, is a, I think is an important d- distinction to make because we talk a lot around here about shared purpose and well-being. And for us, at least from a work f- perspective, is it's all serve the patient, right? Like, I don't necessarily care who you are, where you came from, you know, kind of where you're headed. When you're here, it's all about serve the patient and we unite behind one front and, and the, you know, families will do that in their own ways with their own individual purposes and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that. So I'm going to pause that thought. Um, sometimes that happens. You start a sentence, you don't know where it's going to go and it leads nowhere. Um, That's uh, the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with that, I mean, other, other stuff, if you made me a list, I'm not going to let that list go by. <laughs> um, well, uh, I guess vet school has, in some ways, these impossible standards and a lot of mental stress. And going through my military experience was definitely something that prepared me for going to vet school. There are days where sometimes I feel like maybe I'm the crazy one because my classmates are running around like palpably stressed Mm -hmm. at whatever the situation is, whether it's the class or whatever, and I'm not. And mm-hmm. so then I'm looking at myself saying, well, am I, am I the crazy one? Like, not that they're crazy, but yeah, like, yeah. why am I not stressed? And they are. And I think it's just that experience of, of being through the military, raising children, you know, you're a dad, you'll find out pretty soon if you don't know already, you know, when something freaks you out, you can't let everyone know that yeah. it freaks you out because yep. that just makes your kid freak out more. Mm-hmm. So you, you get really good at compartmentalizing and, like putting things in boxes and dealing with it and looking like everything's great on the outside, but on the inside, you're that dog whose like face is melting. Off. <laughs> um, I guess with that and, you know, having the colleagues that you do in vet school, do you find yourself either putting yourself or having other people putting you in a more mentor or leader type position? Or has that kind of assigned you a role in the groups that you have, that you get the opportunity to work with in vet school? Sometimes. Um, I, I've made some friends who on more than one occasion have referred to me as mom. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, they, a lot of my classmates are closer to my oldest daughter's age than yep. to my own age. And it doesn't bother me one bit. Um, I've had classmates ask me about finances and how to do budgets. And, uh, I've had incoming classmates who are also parents themselves looking to me t- for mentorship because I've been through this and I do share my story on Instagram about, mm-hmm. you know, you can go to school and have a family and, essentially have it all without 
going crazy, losing your family. I, I had a veterinary mentor one time tell me that if you make it through vet school, you'll never make it with your family intact. They'll end up hating you because mm. you spend so much time in vet school. And I just thought that was really like poor advice to give somebody who wants to join <laughs> yeah. veterinary medicine. Yeah. And I've, I've found the opposite. It's not always easy. And, mm. you know, there are bumps along the road. But one thing we did do with our kids when we started this journey is we talked about, okay, these are the expectations that we have of you, and these are the ways things are going to change. Mm -hmm. Mom is in charge of all of these things, but now dad's going to take some of those over. Mm -hmm. And because you're getting older, you're going to take some of them over. And sometimes it's going to be great, and sometimes it's not going to be great. But mm -hmm. we're all in this together, and we made sure that everybody was on board with me going back to school and pursuing my dream. And at no point have my kids ever said, please stop. I want you to stop. I'm I'm done with you being away or missing events or anything like that. Yeah. When I'm the one feeling guilty about, well, I'm sorry I didn't, you know, make it to your hockey game or your recital or whatever, they're like, no, it's okay. It's fine. You've got vet school. We understand. Right. So yeah, I guess that was you kind of answered it, but pretty smooth transition. Um, and because because you did the due diligence to say, okay, if we are going to do this, then this is what we have to do before it even starts. Because if we don't do that, um, it's, it's likely, you're likely to realize the um, uh, preconceived notion of it falling apart or whatever, you know, whatever the mentor that you had said, um, I guess, did, was that something where you, I, because that's not something most people do if you were not aware, uh, is, is that that pre-planning of like, here's you know if you think about even just the basics of like household chores to go from stay-at-home mom to okay yep mom has a long list and now that list has got to be one third of what it is and now you guys got to help pick up the slack and that's a part of the deal um i guess you know it, what like, was that a pretty smooth transition it kind of sounds like it was uh for the most part it's been rocky you know they're yeah. they're kids oh, i'm yeah. asking them to do a lot of things that they have never done before. Right. But my husband and I also look at it as we are preparing them because, you know, yep. you and I talked before it started, my oldest just graduated high school. Mm -hmm. She's going off to Purdue in the fall and going to have to do all these things mm -hmm. like clean her own laundry and, you know, right. take care of herself as a human being. So mm -hmm. instead of me looking at it as, oh my gosh, I'm putting all this responsibility on them. It's more of us looking at it as, well, we're just preparing them for the next stage of their lives. Right, right. No, that's awesome because I think that is something that um, I, a lot of parents and I actually catch myself doing it. I, again, I only have a two-year-old, so you know, he, <laughs> he, I do have to take on a lot of his responsibilities. He cannot operate the washing machine, but, uh, you know, just having I, my friends have older kids and all that sort of stuff. And it's like such a weird dynamic of like, I want to do all of this for you, but also if I do, you're not going to learn anything. Um, so that's, it's a, it's a weird kind of balance in your I guess it leads me to a question of, because here's, here's just a thought that I have, and I guess I'm curious what your insights are, and this isn't on the list, because sometimes you just got to have a thought, is 
Oh, you're going rogue. Yes, going rogue <laughs> is um, you know being able being able to balance these these variables of you know you you talk about compartmentalizing and sometimes you have to be like super stoic and sometimes you have to be yourself. You have to be able to let it out because if you're super super stoic, you just come off as distant and cold. But if you're super overly emotional, you come off as frantic and unapproachable. Right? There's a balance there. There's a lot of different things you know from a parenting perspective. Perspective. You have to give your kids responsibilities, but you also have to not let everything fall apart. There's a lot of dichotomies in life, um, and I think we always get them wrong, no matter how hard we try. Like that, it's you're just going to miss sometimes, if not all the time. I miss frequently. I'm really, really good at making mistakes um, because I'm always just somewhere a little bit in the middle, but on the wrong side. I, I tend not to go one way or the other. But my question is, now, do you agree that you, you kind of got to find that balance? And do you feel like the experiences that you have had have made you better at balancing them, especially as compared to your colleagues that are, you are surrounded by at vet school? I would say yes. Uh, my first semester here at MSU, I got probably the best piece of advice going through vet school, and I think about it all the time. Dr. Stephen Carey, I don't know if you know who he is. Um, he's an excellent mentor. He went through vet school with kids as mm -hmm. well. They were much younger than mine are. But he said that his wife told him when he was in vet school, you have to figure out what the bare minimum is for you and your family and never go below that. Okay. And that's literally how I judge everything that I do. So me, I'm too old to stay up until 2 a.m. studying for whatever exam. If I don't know it by the time I'm ready to go to bed at 10 p.m., then I don't know it. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to get it in the next, you know, four hours of staying up late and being exhausted and then not recalling it the next day. Mm -hmm. I could do that in my 20s. I can't do that now. Mm -hmm. But that's those things, sometimes missing a class because my kid has a tournament or sometimes missing a tournament because I have some big vet school event going on. Mm -hmm. Whatever that bare minimum is for me and my family to make sure that we are all on the same page, that everybody is relatively happy with mom still being in vet school, right. That that's what I shoot for. And yeah, sometimes I'm going to drop something and, you know, make the wrong choice and somebody's going to be upset. But as long as I'm not always doing that, it's okay. Yeah. Um, to go along with that, um, one of the things that we implemented here at PAW and um, I attempt to do in my personal life, I am by no means perfect at it, mm -hmm. is um, really being diligent about going through the process of forgiveness. Is that something that your family prioritized at all? Or is that something that you guys kind of practice or because you know, you're going to make mistakes? Is it implicit in the way you guys communicate? Anything like that? I think it might just be implicit in the way that we yeah. communicate. Yeah. We, My husband and I established some really strong communication skills between the two of us very early on in our marriage. Right. And we just transitioned that into how we've raised our children mm -hmm. that, you know, whatever is happening, whatever, you know, bad, good, better, and different inside the family dynamics, we always talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's not okay to just shut yourself off and be angry about it. You have to at least 
let it out so that, you know, people know where you stand. And that's how we do everything, including vet school. You know, when I say, okay, I've got this big thing coming up right now, I have a a poster on the outside of my office room door that says quiet recording in progress. (laughs) And for the most part, I mean, the dog can't read, so she's occasionally been barking, but for the most part, the kids know, okay, mom's in here. She's doing something that's important to her. We're going to keep it down, keep the noise level down. Just that communication. And I think that works outside of the family dynamic too, whether you're in a veterinary practice or the military or wherever you're at in your life, Mm -hmm. as long as you're communicating with people, then you know what level everyone is at. And then you can find the solution if a solution needs to be had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to go along with that, because you kind of alluded to, you know, that, that works in a veterinary practice. Um, I'm curious what your plan is um, in terms of post-graduation. Do you have a, a goal? Do you have a five-year plan post-grad? You know, we had Bree Demoline on here a few weeks ago, and she's she's got it all laid out for the first <laughs> five. And, and then we're like, well, if you come work here for a year, your entire life is going to change. So, you know, at least uh, understand that you can have the goal, but the plan's going to be in sand a little bit. Um, but yeah, for yourself, um, do you have a, a specific kind of, uh, at least hope, maybe not necessarily a plan, but uh, where you want your professional career to go? I don't have a plan per se. Um, I I haven't written anything off the table just because there's so many experiences I haven't had. Uh, Mm. I know mostly I'm not a large animal person, but I still haven't written it off because I haven't had that rotation yet. Um, I am very much attracted to emergency medicine, but also in a disaster response. In my brain, things that make me very excited are you know, a natural disaster happening and then me going to help with veterinary care of animals during that. Yeah. Those kinds of things make me excited. I also really like infectious disease, hence the reason that I'm also getting an MPH Mm -hmm. at the same time as my DVM. That may be a little crazy, but... (laughs) Uh, Dr. Katie did it. So her last couple years of vet school, she got her MPH actually through University of Minnesota too. So she was in East Lansing and got her MPH from U of M. So (laughs) not only put the, the excessive workload, but also a significant distance. So it is possible. And I think there's a reason, you know, I think it's, you know, you can do it. Um, so yeah, I guess you're, you're open to, to new ideas and all those sorts, you know, letting kind of life push, put you in a direction. Does that kind of sound about right? Yeah. I'm not really interested at this stage in my life because I am older. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not really interested in owning my own practice. Okay. I know that's very appealing for a lot of mm-hmm. new veterinarians and more power to them. Yeah. That's not something that, that I'm interested in. I, I want to work somewhere that uh, I have great mentorship, that I have great teamwork, I get along with my colleagues well, and we practice high quality medicine. So yeah. wherever that leads me, yeah. that's that's where I want to be. Yeah, I, I think too, the cool part about that is um, one thing that happened really, really early on at Paw Health was, you know, Carlo and Katie bought the practice 2015, um, puts about a year in, it was a little bit less than a year. And then Annie, who is our senior accountability officer and she's a uh, CBT, um, she joined the team. So she had worked for the clinic that was purchased prior to purchase and like knew them, uh, excuse me, and then um, ended up working at another practice for a while. And then 
uh, through a little bit of recruiting effort, um, ended up here at PAW, and she's been exactly that. In a, like, not necessarily focused on ownership, to my knowledge. You know, I could be out of the loop on something like that, whatever. But she's been that that quote unquote like ideal team player. Like, whatever it is that we got to do, whatever it is that we got to get done, we're going to get it done, um, and we're going to do so in a way that's going to encourage a quality culture. We're going to work together as a team. We're going to collaborate effectively. We're going to have conflict, and we're going to handle it the you know in an an appropriate way um and she's been absolutely invaluable to the entire process like if you i think carlo might be sitting behind the wall here uh behind me at this point but you know if i brought him in here or katie it'd be like well the person that kind of really let this run was annie so there's there's a lot of value um in being that person that's like i don't necessarily need the quote-unquote financial stake in this because with that you know you lose flexibility on the family side and all that and um, but there's so much value to be distributed, um, both in wisdom, expertise, but also just a willingness to say yes and just collaborating with people. Um, is that something like with your, you know, when you were younger, um, did you have high hopes um, within your military experience to get that like higher level leadership position to kind of move up the ranks? Or were you okay with, um, you know, kind of finding your place? and fulfilling it well, um, or, is, or is that something that has transitioned where you've been a little bit more okay with not necessarily being the head honcho um, as, as you've kind of grown um, in, in gained experience and uh, you know, grown your family as well? I guess, how has that kind of gone for you? Uh, I think when I was younger, I was probably more interested in being the head honcho. Yeah. Um, maybe not the top dog, right. but I definitely was interested in not being the bottom of the barrel either. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, but I think now, now that I've had some life experience, I've realized that y you can be just as effective as somebody further down the totem pole as the yeah. very top of the totem pole. Like yep. you don't have to hold that leadership position. And in fact, a lot of the most influential veterinarians I know don't hold that top leadership position. Yeah. They, they're somewhere in the middle and they're okay with that, but they can influence in both directions and they're comfortable with where they are and, and how they affect change in both, you know, upwards yeah. and downwardly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess with that and, um, you know, kind of going into that, we're back to the list of questions that I sent you beforehand. <laughs> so, um, you've you've lived a lot more life than those that are around you and when you get into vet veterinary practice you'll have the very unique set of experiences and insights and all of that what is something that is maybe been a little bit more consistent in like wisdom or advice that you have either sought out to share with those that are around you or have had to share by necessity because it's like you know you talk about how you know, when, when uh, you're going through a tough, uh, you know, the, what you guys were essentially doing, the um, body systems, right? If you're in a tough mm -hmm. body system and everyone's losing their mind and you're the one that's calm, is there, was there an insight that I was like, wow, this scenario really is dictating that I, I provide this sort of wisdom or maybe just a, a high five? I don't really know. Um, <laughs> anything from a, that you've been consistently kind of putting out into the world that you've been drawing from your life experiences? Um, I think I just go back to like my sense of purpose and yeah. why are you here? Yep. And then 
also perspective. My husband and I have this saying of, is this going to matter in 10 years? Because in the moment, something could be like the biggest, worst thing on the planet. But when you try and put that perspective out 10 years, is this actually going to matter or does it just matter right now? Because if it just matters right now, sure, you can be upset about it. But do you need to be as upset as you are? Do you need to like make your whole entire world implode because of it? Or can you just deal with it and then move on? Mm -hmm. And I think those kinds of things really help me in my own personal life going through vet school you know, like we talked about earlier, looking at a situation like, why is everybody so upset? I think I've just internalized that because I use it so much. Is this going to matter in 10 years? Well, yes, knowing all the things in this body system is important for my veterinary career. But if you talk to enough veterinary students and veterinarians who've graduated from vet school, they'll mm -hmm. tell you, you don't know everything and you forget a lot of those things. So it really doesn't matter in 10 years in some ways because yeah. you can go back and look it up. You can mm -hmm. refresh your memory, take some CE, whatever it is to relearn that information. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually something that we kind of preach around here too is um, I, the, the concept or the phrase that gets kicked around so much is day one ready. Right. And, but I, I think <laughs> the, the, the problem with that phrase, it, I, I don't think it's an inherently flawed phrase, but we forgot to define it. Like it's, it's a great headline, but what is the sub headline? What's the, what is the guts that goes behind that? Because when left to its own devices, what I think a lot uh, because of how um, educationally strenuous vet school is and you're being fed everything out of that fire hose, what I think that that phrase is being construed as is I have to be able to consume all of this and hold it down and keep it in even though it is physically and mentally impossible. And for us, all we are looking for is growth mindset. Being able to say, yes, I don't know everything, but I'm gonna learn it as it comes forward. Like I'm, I acknowledge the fact that I'm gonna forget some stuff. I acknowledge that I am human and it's called veterinary practice for a reason, right? And, it, and it's to be able to kind of, I guess maybe I'll throw that back at you. How do you define day one ready? Uh, well, I think the way that the college wants you to think about it is that you know all the things and you're ready to just hit the road running. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's having all the tools that I need in my toolbox to start as a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. I may not remember how to use those tools, but they're there somewhere. Yep. And as long as I can figure out which one I need and how to apply it eventually, to me, that's day one ready. Yeah. And like you said, being that growth mindset and open to, okay, I don't know everything, but I'm going to learn. Yep. I, I really think in some ways how the veterinary medicine has evolved from a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not mentorship, but you know, where you used to go out and you would follow somebody along for mm. however many years. And then you, an apprenticeship. You yeah, that's the word yep. I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. An apprenticeship where you learned all those things on the job and they taught you as you went along. Yep. I feel like in some ways veterinary medicine is a, now at a disservice because we don't have that apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. And that's why so many students end up going on to do internships because that's what they're looking for. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, I, I, from understanding that externship process and kind of that first, because we actually, so we hired, 
Um, they just got through year one of actual full-time employment was three docs from MSU. So Dr. Burris, Dr. Fenton, and Dr. Gatta. Um, that first year, there's a lot of hands-on, like, especially in our setting, because everything comes in. It's, you know, we're the, we are that last line of if it's sick, it's coming here. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to that because, um, they got to learn a ton in a very, very short amount of time, but also they had to be taught a ton in a very, very short amount of time. And it's like, they walked in with this skill set and they didn't realize what they had. They, they, we saw it and it's like you, it's one of those things where you can literally watch somebody know the right answer and they just can't get it out of their mouth. Um, and it's like, you're saying all of the right things, just highlight the piece of paper and say that this is the right thing to do. And, and I think that's a part of that, that misconstruction of that day one ready concept is it's like, well, I don't actually know 100% of all of the things that could potentially go wrong or right if we do this flex four and send it home with doxycycline. Like, I don't know, because I came from Michigan, and apparently now there's finally ticks in Michigan, which I thought was a very, very weird news development. Um, but, like, all of that, and you can just, you can see, and the cool part about it was, um, for them, there was there was kind of this tipping point of confidence. And it, was, it went from, I'm not necessarily afraid, but I'm skeptical of myself, to like, no, this is, this is what we're going to do. And, and getting just, it was, it wasn't a competence problem. It was a, it was a confidence issue. And once that flipped, it's like, well, now they're just doing all the stuff because they just know that they can. So, um, I'm here. I, I, I will, pencil in the concept of having you on the podcast after about the first six months of being employed as a veterinarian because I'm so curious and I hope that you go to a practice where you can also work alongside somebody that is like graduated at the same time right so you can kind of run parallel but is um, you know basically is kind of that more traditional path because I think that that would be something that would be really really beneficial to both of you to be you know to have the um the insights from each other and it's just vastly different life experiences. I don't know if that's a part of, you know, your hopes or goals or anything like that, but I think at the very least it would be interesting. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's one of, I, I see this as those, the, one of those things is I lose my train of thought sometimes. So, um, the, I, I guess to go along or to kind of circle back to the original question, um, any other insights and actually maybe more, um, for your classmates, colleagues, anything like that, that you would, you have the platform, right? I'm going to put this on the internet uh, again here in a little bit. Um, what would, if you could tell them anything, kind of what would it be? Oh, geez. There's that's a so big many question. <laughs> that is a big, that's a heavy question. <laughs> I mean, so many of my classmates are young and, you know, like I feel like half of them are just getting married and maybe starting families and things like that. I'm living proof that it, it's never too late to do anything. Mm -hmm. If you get into veterinary medicine and you're like, I wanted to be this large animal vet and now I've changed my mind and I want to do small animal, but I don't know if I can because I don't remember that. Just do it. Like mm -hmm. it's okay. If you want to go back and get an MPH later or a PhD or whatever you want to do, just do it. If I can do this at 41 with three kids and a husband at home, like you can do it. Anyone can do it. I love it. 
That's all. That was like, that was the, <laughs> that was the clickbait right there. No, I'm just, uh, <laughs> so I guess to, cause we are actually kind of hitting the hour point and I do try to typically keep these to about that uh, length. Um, one of the things that I do like to do with folks that come on is um, see if you have any questions for us as well, whether or not I answer them right now or um, when I am able to kind of pin down uh, Carlo and, and answer that question from his perspective or Caroline or Dr. Katie and um, some of the other resources that I'm working on building right now. We actually, uh, you're the first person to know outside of the organization. Um, uh, Veterinary Mental Health, if you don't follow them on Instagram, um, I recommend that you do. And one of their doctors, it will be on the podcast next Tuesday. So um, nice. building that network because there's a lot of problems that can be solved um, in, and we have a lot of opportunity in that. But um, with that, um, giving you at least the opportunity, um, what questions do you have that you would want to throw at any of those people oh I wasn't prepared to yeah I know I sometimes I like <laughs> to throw curveballs out there <laughs> I don't you know even in interviews I really find that what questions do you have for me is yeah. like the hardest one because that's when my brain's like there's nothing in here right and then and then like 30 minutes later after you walk yeah. out the door, it's like, I should have asked that question. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, it's all good. It's just sometimes, you know, they got them that, uh, that they come up. Um, so I was just kind of curious more than anything. Um, I'm sure I will have tons as soon as you hit end call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I, and that's okay. That's why the internet exists, right? Like the fact that I can put a computer screen in front of me and we can do this from, you know, over the internet, I'm grateful for as much as uh, COVID it has made things hard on a lot of things and there's obviously been the significant negatives to it the fact that it has shrunk the world so significantly i think is really really cool and provides even more opportunity to connect with people um whether it's in you know, obviously in this platform but even just professionally like the idea of having a digital mentor five years ago i don't think really existed now it's commonplace so um, I guess that's another question that I have for you. Do you have like a mentor that you kind of have quote unquote lined up to uh, help you out post-graduation? Uh, I actually have one that, so Dr. Crocker, I'm sure you know who she is through Instagram. She came and spoke virtually through VBMA. Yep. And um, I mentioned that I was going through vet school as a mom and she sent me a message, said, hey, keep in touch with me. I want to help you with your journey. And that's where my out-of-state externship ended up being is okay. I got to go down and meet her in person. And I did two weeks in Texas with her. And, nice. you know, she checks in on me to make sure I'm doing good. And, and that's, you know, the power of the Internet yep. made that happen. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, with being the fact or with the fact that we've wanted to connect so closely with so many students, but we're in central Wisconsin. It's like, <laughs> you know, we used to there used to be a lot of airplane rides, but now it's, you know, we we did. I think this last year we did three VB, VBMA talks and a couple of things through the house system, all that sort of stuff. And actually our involvement in the house system is going to be increasing pretty substantially here this next year. So um, going to be all awesome. sorts of good stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess with that, um, I will leave the floor to you if you have any final thoughts or feelings or ideas or suggestions, anything like that. 
This was really great. Um, I was pretty nervous when we first started, but you uh, made it pretty not nerve-wracking for me, so thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, tell you, I, uh, I can completely understand how being live on the internet is a very stressful thing. I don't know. Uh, we have a Julie Stadelman. I don't know if I said that. That's but, my mom. <laughs> uh, she's, she says uh, very, uh, she said, yay, that's my girl. So she's, <laughs> she's on and watching. So hi, mom. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for joining. I know it was kind of off the cuff and we, you know, I was supposed to have other people even in the room with me and we kind of, we trudged our way through that. And, but honestly, um, thanks for sharing your story because you've heard it from other people where it's like, you really have a, a an interesting and insightful and cool process or journey. And, um, you, you look at the world differently than a lot of other people do. And not necessarily that everyone has to look at the world the way that you do, but they can glean some insight. They can see somebody who has gone through a lot of stuff. I mean, you literally survived Guantanamo Bay in 2002 and 2003, which was <laughs> not, I mean, that's that's a stressful experience. We'll just keep it that simple. Yep. <laughs> um, and you had a marriage survive that as well. So um, you're, I, I knew that there was something that I'm glad that we are now able to circle back on. And don't be afraid to share it further. You know, I, I, the fact that you've continued to share it on social media, I think is really helpful to a lot of people. I'm sure that you've been thanked a number of times, but I, as myself, I will thank you as well because um, yeah, I'm not in that world and I can understand the value that you're able to provide to people um, that are going through a similar process as you because as much as it does probably suck sometimes to be the eldest you know, classmate in the room, there's a lot of wisdom to be had in that as well. So thanks for not necessarily being shy with that. And I would say the more that you can share, um, I don't know if you are a verbal thinker, but I certainly am. And I found that the more that I can talk about stuff, the more that it's easier for me to process as well. So um, yeah, I guess with that, um, we can kind of wrap this up unless you got anything else. No, I mean, you know, anybody that's watching this, if they are struggling, like I said earlier, with should I go back to school, can I mm -hmm. do this, feel free to reach out. I talk to random strangers who are considering going to vet school, and they're like, I have kids, and watching your journey really made me feel like I could do it. In fact, somebody that's coming into MSU uh, in the fall actually contacted me last year asking me questions about the process and said they'd been following my journey. So that's what I'm here for. My dad tells me that I have a unique story, and I need mm -hmm. to put it out in the world so that people can learn from it and and I'm happy to answer anybody's questions so awesome. feel free to look for me on Instagram. Yeah and I will go ahead I'll put a hot link in the description with everything as well so they can be uh, be able to get quick access in there and yeah everyone just feel free to shoot Andrea a message if you got any questions but uh, but yeah with that I will go ahead and take us out Andrea. Thanks again very much for your time and, and your story and uh, again I will I got it written in pencil that uh, six to nine months into your first job you're gonna we're gonna get you back on here and we're gonna see what it's all about okay absolutely love to come back awesome awesome well thank you very much everybody for tuning in we'll catch you on the next one